Ah, a little flashback there on my own parenting and my daughter. Huh? No more specifics on that. Well, we all got parents. We all, some of us are parents. And uh, we know firsthand some of the conflicts that that can produce. And so we're in a series on relatively speaking, talking about relatives and relationships and things of that sort. And this morning we're going to look at mom and dad stuff. Before I get into that, um, uh, you will probably notice I have new glasses on this morning, how they look. I showed them to Ruth Richmond, our, our organist up here last night, and, and she said, they're hilarious, you're a potato head. So this is not quite the effect I wanted. Thank you, Ruth. Dr. Potato Head. I get no respect. Oh, I tell you, I get no respect. Uh, but anyways, I, I stepped on my glasses, and so I had to get new glasses, and so they're going with a new look. And uh, speaking of which, several have asked, when are you going to get done with that movie so you get rid of that scruff? Um, I had the first shooting actually two weeks ago. Uh, it was fun. I uh, flew out to Michigan to do this. Uh, but I have another shooting in January, so this isn't coming off for a while. So deal with it. Deal with it. It's actually kind of growing on me. Should <laughs> I starting to like it? So I, I, this mean I, I, I just may keep this around. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. So I'm entitling this message, uh, Honoring Mom, Dad, and Father. Because we're going to be talking about how to honor our mother and father, uh, earthly mother and father, in the light of honoring our Abba, Father in heaven. So will you pray with me here? Uh, father, in, in, we, we just want to be your disciples and your kids who carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so I pray, God, for every person in this auditorium, every person listening through podcasts or any other means, Father, that you just open up our hearts and open up our minds to receive your word deeply. Uh, to teach us what we need to know about honoring uh, you by honoring our earthly parents. And uh, God, for some folks here, it, it, I think it's supposed to be a healing message. For some, it's going to be a liberating message. For some, maybe it's supposed to be a convicting message. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you, t- you take this message and personalize it to each one of our lives. And, uh, and, and give it your authority to bring the kingdom, your uniquely beautiful kingdom into our lives and into our relationships with our parents. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Let me read to you uh, uh, from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Here, uh, the Apostle Paul, or maybe one of his disciples, something a disciple of his wrote this book, doesn't matter. Uh, But here he's quoting the fifth commandment, the fifth of the ten commandments. And he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor, uses this word tomato I'll talk about here in a second. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This word tomato that Paul uses is, uh, it, it, it is a verbal form of the noun tome, which simply means a weight. And um, so what the concept is, is... is to honor something is to give it its appropriate weight, to give it its appropriate value. The way they would usually assess values in the ancient world was by weighing things. So it's to give something the proper esteem or the proper weight, the proper uh, value that it has. To honor your father and mother means you just value them appropriately. Paul says that this is the first command with a promise. In fact, in, in the, the Ten Commandments, this is the first one that deals with our relationships with other people. The first four are about God and then uh, the last six are about our relationship with other people. And it starts by talking about our relationship with the mother and father. And that's because, as we saw last week, that it's been widely considered throughout history up until really modern Western culture that the bedrock of society had to do with your allegiance to pr- primarily your father. But in the Bible, it branches out to your father and mother. 
The most important of all relationships in terms of understanding the structure of society, holding it all together, is, is your mother and father. And then Paul says this is the first command with promise. And the promise is that if you honor your father and mother, if you assign the appropriate weight, appropriate value to your mother and father, it will go well with you and you'll live a long life. Uh, we find this teaching or some, uh, something along these lines outside of the Bible. In fact, this is one of those kind of teachings that you find in almost all religions and, it's, and in almost all cultures. It's a little bit like the golden rule. Uh, you know, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Well, you find that in the Bible, but you also find it everywhere else. It's sort of just a, an assumption, uh, an insight into wisdom that has been handed down throughout, uh, throughout history. So you find this all over the place. That if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you'll live long. And there's a number of reasons people speculate as to why uh, folks have always believed that. One of the reasons is that up until very recently in modern Western culture, almost everything that a kid would learn, they'd learn from their mother and father. Public schools is a very recent invention. And uh, so if you're not honoring your father and mother and you're not listening to your father and mother, you're going to make mistakes and it's not going to go well with you. So honor your mother and father. Another reason that some uh, suspect that this has been a, a traditional piece of wisdom throughout history is that um, up until modern Western culture, uh, there were no safety nets for folks as they got older and uh, grew unable to take care of themselves. There's no safety nets, no retirement programs, no social security. Um, your, your only uh, security was your kids as you got older. And so, by honoring your father and mother, you're setting example for your kids so that when you get to be in a position where you need to be cared for, well, they've already learned that. And so there's a number of reasons like that, why uh, this has been passed down throughout history as an ancient piece of wisdom. We want to take a distinct kingdom look at this, right? We set this up last week. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get that message, because that's going to be the framework that we're going to use uh, as we go throughout this whole series, as we assess all of our relative relationships and all of our relationships, we're going to do it from a perspective of the kingdom. Often when we deal with family issues and relationship issues, what we do is we have the issues and then we try to plug Jesus in somewhere. Well, really to seek first the kingdom means that you, you first ask the question, what is, is there a distinct kingdom way of looking at the problem? Um, and that redefines what the issue is and it redefines the kind of questions you ask and the kind of answers you get. So to take a, a kingdom look at this, what we saw last week is this. All of the Bible's family language, is it, it assumes what we called a patriarchal structure, a patriarchal understanding of the family. Throughout most cultures, certainly, this is certainly true of Judaism, ancient Judaism, uh, the family was defined by the father, the bloodline of the father. You were always, first and foremost, a child of your father. Before you were anything else, before your husband and wife of someone else, you're first and foremost a child of your father. And that father had authority over the children uh, as long as the father was alive. So we have to think kind of like the godfather. As long as the father was alive, that was the boss of the family. Uh, and it was understood that the kids have a responsibility to the father as long as the father's alive. Uh, the job is to honor the father, bring honor to the father, and bring honor to the family. The job is to carry out the father's will, because the father has authority over you. And the job is to uh, further the family, to propagate the family, to, to expand the family, to have kids. That was just the assumption. That's your primary responsibility in life, is to do this for your father. And it was understood that your ultimate allegiance, the ultimate commitment in your life, is to your father and therefore to the family, because the family was seen as an extension of the father. That's your ultimate commitment. 
Now, Jesus comes along, and what he does is he takes that whole framework and he applies it to Abba, Father, and to his family. And so we saw last week that we are born of the Father in a very real sense, not physically, of course, but, but it's not a mere metaphor either. We're born of the Father. We're born of the Spirit. We're born from above. When that happens, there's a fundamental change that takes place in our relationship with God. He becomes our Father in a unique sense. That sense is captured by the Spirit that's in our heart that cries out, Abba, Father. Abba being the Aramaic word for Dad, Daddy. It's a term of intimacy. He becomes now Abba, not just general creator, supreme being. No, he's, he's Dad. We sang about him earlier. By the way, that was a kicking worship service. That, 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 man, the anointing was there. That was powerful. That's, that, was, that was joyous. So he becomes our Dad. We become his children in a unique sense. And, and, and so as Jesus applies this to our relationship with, with God, we understand that he now defines us. He has total authority over us. We are his kids. And so our job is to do what the job of any child is. It's, it's to carry out his will. It's to honor the father and the family. And it's to further the father's will. It's to further the family name. It's to bear spiritual children. And it was understood as Jesus applies this to Abba and the family, that our ultimate commitment now is not to our biological family, but to our Father and the family of all those who seek to do His will. And this was absolutely scandalous in the first century and still pretty scandalous today. Our ultimate commitment is, is to Abba and the family of all those who do His will. So Jesus said those things that are so offensive. Like, I've come to set a father against a son and a mother against a daughter. And whoever does my, my will, the will of, the, of, of my father in heaven, that's my brother and sister and mother and, and things of that sort. It's one of the reasons why he ticked everybody off and why he got crucified. Uh, commitment to God and the family comes first and foremost. That's our ultimate allegiance. And so this is the kingdom perspective we're to have as we look at all of our relationships. We seek first the kingdom of God, which is to seek first the honor and the will of our father and to seek to carry out his will and to further the family, and to do it as a family, in line with others who are born of the Spirit, who have the Father's DNA, who are brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we look at Ephesians 6 with this kingdom framework, here's what we get. Our commitment, ultimate commitment, is to Abba, Father. And he tells us now to honor our father and mother, our earthly father and mother. Whether they're believers or not, doesn't matter whether they're good at it or not, we're to honor them, give appropriate weight to them. Not because they deserve it or earned it or merited it or anything of the sort, but because we're committed to Abba. And he tells us to do this. So we have this commitment to honor their position as as mother and father. Um, Now, how do we do that? What does that look like? I find it helpful to make this distinction. On the one hand, you can talk about the position of being a father and a mother. On the other hand, you can talk about the actual experience of them being your father and mother. The reality of their fathering and mothering. There's a difference here. Their position as father and mother is one thing. The actual practice of their fathering and mothering is another thing. Some of us know firsthand that it's possible for two people to have a position of father and mother in your life. And yet there's not really any reality to the fathering and mothering at all. But they still have that position. You see what I'm saying here? And so in, in, in this way, applying Ephesians 6 looks something like this. We're to honor the position of father and mother. That's not because of anything they do or, or how good they were or bad they were. That's just because they are our father and mother. And Abba, uh, Allah, uh, Allah, Abba, this is a Christian church, not a mosque. Abba. 
Some of you are like, really? I thought it was a mosque. Abba, Abba tells us to, to honor that, the position. Uh, that position itself carries weight. Whether we're talking about our biological parents or maybe our adopted parents or maybe our step-parents, whoever played that role, the fact that they played that role uh, means that that carries weight. It's got value that we need to esteem. And the promise of Abba is that it will go well for us if we do that. So there's that commitment. Out of our allegiance to, uh, to our Heavenly Father, we honor them. Now, there's also another commitment that we have as people who are, have our ultimate allegiance to our Heavenly Father and to the family of all those who do His will. And that commitment is uh, that we speak the truth. We deal with reality. And so we find, sprinkled throughout the New Testament, things like this, Ephesians 4, where, where, where Paul says that uh, we're to speak the truth in love. And by speaking the truth in love, we'll grow up into Him who is the head, Christ. We're to be truth speakers. Now, that word truth uh, is, is aletheia. Very interesting word. And it literally means uncovered or unveiled, out in the open, not concealed. And so, by virtue of the fact that we are, have our ultimate commitment to our Heavenly Father, uh, we are to be people who have an ultimate commitment to dealing with reality. An ultimate commitment to avoid hypocrisy. An ultimate commitment to never pretend, to never conceal stuff. An ultimate commitment to, to make sure that things appear the way they actually are. To avoid all sorts of pretense. So we have this commitment as well. And so here's the kingdom balance. As we now seek to apply Ephesians 6 to our lives in a kingdom way. The balance is this. We're to honor the position of father and mother. Whether this biological, whether they're step-parents, whether they're adopted parents, whether they're still alive or whether they're dead. We're to honor that. On the other hand, we're also to have an unwavering commitment to truth. To reality. And so we have to deal with the reality of how they were father and mother, even as we honor their position as father and mother. You follow me so far? Okay, so I'm going to here talk about two things. First, honoring the position. What does that mean? What does that look like? Especially when uh, the father and mother we're talking about that we're supposed to honor weren't really honorable. What does that look like? And then I'm going to talk about the reality, the actual experience dealing with that of, of father and mother. What does it mean to honor that? The position, first. I uh, have shared this several times before, uh, but it's uh, the only mother I have, so I have to use that analogy. I was raised with a stepmother. My mother died when I was two years old from leukemia. From the ages of three to 12, she raised me. And she was a primary caregiver because my dad traveled all the time and was only home every other weekend. Uh, she had the position of my mother in my life from three to 12, but there was... So far as I can see, no reality to this. It just didn't happen. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, I mean, I think she was going through a period of a nervous breakdown in that at nine years. Uh, her bi- own biological kids that she brought into the marriage, this was her second marriage, my dad's third marriage. Uh, but um, uh, they said that something changed when, they, when she married my father and there was like a nervous breakdown and... and she, she was, later on was really nice and she actually became a really sweet kingdom person. But during these nine years, it was nasty. And there's no reality to a, a mother-child relationship. I don't remember a single kind word from her. Um, I don't remember any warmth at all. I remember one compliment she gave me. Uh, I was around nine or ten years old. Uh, and it stood out to me because it was so unusual. She was, it was a nice word. But I, even at that age, surmised that she gave it not because she believed it, but because my dad was there. And he'd been giving me a compliment or two, and so she was kind of making a political move. I didn't think she really believed it. But I don't remember any hugs. I don't remember any embrace. I do remember a lot of hitting. 
uh, there's a lot of violence and a lot of abuse that went on. So there's no reality. There's no bond, at least so far as, as I can see. Um, and so what does it look like then to honor the, 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 the position of her, her being a mother when there's no reality there? As I read Ephesians 6, what it's telling me is that I, out of my allegiance to Abba, I have to honor, there's a weightiness to the, to the fact that she was in that position. Despite the fact that there's no reality to it, the fact, the sheer fact that she had that position means I'm supposed to honor that. What does that look like? And the promise is that it's good for me. I'll live longer if I do that, all other things being equal. How does that apply here? What does that look like? Well, because I... Part of my commitment to, to my Heavenly Father is to speak the truth and to deal with the truth, to be out in the open, to, to never be involved in pretense. To honor my, my, the position of my, my, my mother is not to in any way pretend like it was better than it was. It was what it was. And, and it's not to, to sugarcoat it or to conceal it or anything of the sort. And it may be that, that others would look at this and think I'm dishonoring my mother by being honest with how it was. But see, that's just what it is to be a kingdom person. You don't sugarcoat anything. You deal with reality. The reality sucked. It just, it, it wasn't there. Still, I'm committed to honoring the position. And what that means is something like this. To honor my mother uh, means at the very least that I don't just put her out of my mind. You can't honor somebody that, that, that you're never thinking about. It means I can't just trash her in my mind and move on and pretend like she wasn't my mother or that she doesn't exist. No, no, see, that's just another form of pretense. i got to deal with reality, and the reality is that she had this position, and I am committed to honoring it. It means I don't just put her out of my mind. I don't just trash her. Uh, out of my allegiance to truth, I deal with the reality of things. Uh, to honor her, I think, means this. Out of my allegiance to Abba, my dad, my heavenly dad, out of my allegiance to him, I have to pray for her. I think I have to, I have to bless her. She's dead now, but uh, she's, up until three years ago, four years ago when she died, uh, that was a commitment that I, I needed to make. And if she was still alive, it would be a commitment I would have to continue on. It means I have to love her, which means it's about ascribing unsurpassable worth to her. Because realize that, as kingdom people, this is what we're supposed to be doing even to our worst enemies. Even life-threatening enemies, Jesus says, you love them, you bless them, you serve them, you do good to them, you pray for them. And so even if your, your mother or father are or were an enemy of yours, even a life-threatening enemy... At the very least, to honor the position means that, that uh, you, you bless them and you pray for them and you ascribe unsurpassable worth to them because Jesus died for them. It's going to be hard for some of us to hear, perhaps, because I understand the backgrounds that we can come from, but the reality is this. However bad your mother or your father were or whoever played that role, however terrible they may have been, however toxic the relationship may have been, however damaging the relationship it may have been, even however demonic the relationship may have been. The reality is that as a kingdom person whose ultimate allegiance is to your Heavenly Father, He commands us to honor the position, to esteem the position, to give it a certain kind of a weight, which means praying for them and blessing them and, and loving them. And it's good for us to do that. It's, good for, it's for our sake that we do that, even if there's nothing there that, that, that would warrant that. And by the way, almost all of us, our, our, our actual parents, the ones who raised us, are somewhere between the extremes of absolutely demonic and, and absolutely perfect, right? Most of them are kind of in between. Somewhere on the spectrum. But I'll deal with the worst case scenario because if we get the worst case scenario, the other ones come easy. And so even if you lived in a worst case scenario, 
something maybe as terrible as sexual abuse going on. The promise of the, of the word is that it's good for you, it's good for you to be committed to honoring them and blessing them and loving them uh, despite all the stuff that went on. Now, how do you love, how do you love and honor and pray for and bless people in the worst case scenario when the parents were absolutely terrible? It's tough, all right. See, I, I think it's actually impossible unless you're first willing to forgive. That's step one. I, I think this is, in fact, the most important way that we honor the position of parents when they were absolutely dishonorable. You forgive them. And it is, I think, the most profound way in which it is good for us to be committed to honoring them even when we were living in the worst-case scenario. When we don't forgive, we harbor resentment in our heart. And, and resentment and bitterness in our heart is a kind of cancer. It, it, it's a pollutant. It, it infects everything. It taints everything. It stinks up everything. Even if you're able to put the parents out of your mind and totally forget about the abuse that happened, uh, the resentment that's there is, is going to be eating you alive, and you probably won't even notice it. Because you get used to it. When I, when my parents divorced when I was 12, I don't remember once thinking about my stepmother. I, I honestly don't. I, I, I came home from school with my dad. He had picked me up from track practice and we walked in the house and the house had been cleared out. And my dad looked around and, and, and he swore a happy swear, blankety blank. The, the blankety blank has, has fluked the coop. I remember saying that. He was happy. This was like, and I was happy. He was like, whoa, this is fantastic. Because it, was, it wasn't a pleasant home, let me tell you. And, and so we were like, woo, let's go out and party. So I, my dad took me out to a bar, and uh, he got absolutely just drunker than a skunk. And I hadn't ever seen him that happy in my life up to that point. He was so happy. And we were just celebrating uh, the fact that now uh, the home was empty. After that night, I don't remember ever thinking about her, ever. She's gone. I, 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 I'm a little bit amazed when I look back on it. I remember I, I, at a reunion, I talked to a, one of my old girlfriends. I said, did I ever talk about my stepmother or anything like that? Uh, you know, because this is you know, a lot of upheaval going on in my house. And she said, no, I, I never, you never said a word about anything going on. It, it was amazing. At the, about the age of 20, now I became a disciple of Jesus at the age of 17. And around the age of 19 or 20, God began to deal with me about something. It was really surprising to me. All of a sudden in prayer, my, I, I began to get images of my stepmother. And God began to reveal to me that, in fact, I was harboring a lot of resentment towards her that I didn't even know I had. In fact, God began to reveal to me that that, that that resentment that I had harbored in my heart, even though she was out of my brain, a person can be out of your brain, but they're still in your heart. And, and that, 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 that resentment was a pollutant in my life. It was tainting everything. When you harbor unforgiveness, whether you know that you're doing it or not, whether the person that you have resentment towards is in your mind or not, to the degree that you have unforgiveness there, it's going to taint how you look at God. It's going to taint your ability to love God. It's going to taint your ability to love yourself. It's going to subvert your ability to love others. It's going to pollute your view of the world. It's going to undermine your capacity to live life to the full. It's going to undermine your capacity to feel things deeply. There's a reason why I didn't cry. I cried one time uh, that whole period from the age of 12 to 20 that I can remember. One time. And there's a lot of nasty stuff that went down. But, but I, I just never cried. And part of it's because unforgiveness eats your like emotional nervous system. It just destroys it. And God began to reveal this to me. And started saying, Greg, you need to take care of that. 
You need to release that. That's all forgiveness is. You need to release that. I need to forgive. Out of, out of allegiance to my Heavenly Father, I need to forgive. Not because she earned it or wanted it or anything, but because God tells me to do it and promises me that it's good for me to do that. And so I honor the position. The first step in honoring, giving appropriate, weight, appropriate value to the position of motherhood is by releasing the reality of the kind of mother she was. You honor the position by letting go of the nasty reality. And that's what forgiveness is. It's releasing a debt. Here, here, here's how it works, I think. We, we're all born with a need to be loved by our parents. You mean a mother and father, ideally speaking, a mother and father who, who would model God for us, who would tell us what we're worth, who would love and care for us the way God does. This is by God's design. This is, it's wired, hardwired into the nature of creation. We're born with that need. And parents are supposed to model God to us and give us, ascribe to us worth so that when we get older, we can then on our own just kind of transfer that over to our Heavenly Father. Their job is to sort of transition us and then hand the baton over to us and now we, we, we get going on a healthy relationship with God. We're born with this need and it never goes away. And the gulf between what we needed and what we got. You needed this kind of love, but instead you got cruelty. You needed some security, but instead it was always an unsafe place. You needed to know that you had some kind of worth, but instead you were treated worthlessly. The gulf between reality and your need creates resentment. It's like a mathematical equation. The difference between these two things, or I could put it like this, here's what you needed, here's what you got. That that differential is, it creates resentment. And really, that, that resentment is anchored in something that's healthy. You have an anger there, and, and it's really your, your image of God nature saying, I deserve more than this, I'm not... I don't have the worth that you are ascribing to me. I have more than that. I, I deserve better than this. So it's anchored in a healthy thing. And it can lead to some healthy results if you act on it. But if we stuff that anger, well, then it becomes bitterness and resentment. And it eats us alive. But see, there comes a point where the job of parents was to transition you over to a relationship with God anyways. And so there comes a point that however good or bad the parents did that, there comes a point where we're, we're, we have to take responsibility at ourselves. Would have been nice if we would have had a nice transition, but life is what it is, and you got what you got. There comes a point when we as adults need to know that the only one who can really define us is our Heavenly Father. The only one who can really ascribe to us accurate worth is our Heavenly Father. The only one who can really meet the need in our, in our, in our innermost being, in our spirit, that our parents were supposed to meet when we were kids, but the only one who can meet it when we're adults is our Heavenly Father, is Abba. And, and so, whether we got it good from our parents or not, whether they modeled it or not, there comes a point where we got to say, all of our worth and our core identity uh, is to be gotten from our, our Heavenly Father. Remember, the patriarchal family. He defines us. We're first and foremost His kids. And He's the one who has a total authority over, over us. And we're born of the Spirit. We've got His DNA. And so there comes a point where we've got to open ourselves up for Him to pour His life into us and pour unsurpassable worth into us and pour our lovability into us. And all the needs of our heart are met by Him. And when that happens, you see, then we're able to let go. We're able to let go. Uh, we're empowered to release all other people from the obligation to ascribe worth to us because we're now getting that need met from our Heavenly Father. Uh, until we get our, that need met from our Heavenly Father, we're always walking around hungry, which is why we're always trying to get it from, from what people think about us and, and, and what we achieve and, 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 and what, what, you know, how much, how rich we are and stupid stuff like that. It's idols because we're trying to suck some worth out of it, saying, I'm a somebody to compensate for the fact that we didn't get that as, when we we're kids. 
No, no, no. When you drink from the wellspring of the worth and the life and the joy and the identity that comes from Abba Father, when you drink deeply from that infinite well, it, it frees you from all of that. You don't need to get worth from anybody else. You don't need to care about what anyone thinks. You don't have to care about what, what you achieve or what you wear or what kind of car you drive or all the other nonsense, what kind of talents you have, who you impress or who you don't impress. It doesn't matter what people think because your identity is settled in Abba Father. And see, then you can release all others from that obligation. It's nice if you have from folks around you who remind you once in a while of what God thinks about us because we tend to forget sometimes. We think we are forgotten as we sang a little bit earlier. So it's good to have reminders there. But the core need that we have to, to be a somebody to feel like life is worth living, to feel fully alive, that is to be gotten from our Heavenly Father. And so even if we had perfect parents, there's a point where we got to release them of that obligation. You shouldn't be trying to suck worth out of your parents even if they're good at giving it. <laughs> And when they're, in fact, incapable of giving it, the way you first honor their position as parents is by releasing them from the sad reality of how they actually were parents. You let go. And that is so freeing. Uh, there's a point where, where, where God you know, just said to me, uh, Greg, you know, you had a need. You really did need a mother. You needed someone who's going to love you. And you didn't get it. It's a fallen world. But the Lord said to me, I, I, I can meet that need. I'm a pretty good mother. <laughs> and see, I, 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 this is a fundamentalist Pentecostal church. <laughs> Anything but a feminist liberal church, okay? <laughs> it wasn't out there you know, exploring gender language or anything of the sort. But, but in, in that context, the Lord just said to me, I, I, I'm a, I, I can be a very good mother. In fact, her job was to model a certain aspect of me to you. And I, I actually began to relate to God in, in some ways, in some circumstances, kind of as a mother. Some of you maybe need to hear this and try this on. I, I, I would envision sort of God's like motherly arms holding me. And, and there's a certain kind of, whether it's a sociological or, or biological or metaphysical, doesn't matter. But there's a certain kind of love that I would associate with, with, a, with a mother's love. A little bit distinct from a father's love. However that works. Maybe different from person to person, culture to culture. I don't know. But there's, a, for me, a kind of a love I associated with a mother's love that I'd never gotten. I think I was always hungry for that's why I always envied Jesus being held in the arms of the statue of Mary, <laughs> going to Mass every morning. I'd always look at him and like, are you lucky? You know, I got a mother who loves you like that. I just thought, it's one of the reasons why I, I prayed the Hail Mary all the time. I, 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 I love Mary. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I thought, were always ticked off at me. <laughs> but Mary, I, I got a chance. You know, Mary, that statue. There's the only nice statue in the whole church for crying out loud. All the others are all sear or, or, or in pain. Or a bird. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit, the dove thing? I never got that one. I'm not going to pray to a bird. But see, God said I, I can meet that need. And, and, and so I, I would have times, I still do, have times where I just sort of uh, I, imagine God's arms. I, I never, I always, the, when I fix, see the face of God, it's always Jesus. But I, I can picture the arms of God around me as, as a mother and meeting that need. And see, as that need gets met, I no longer need to be saying, you know, I'm worth more than that. You, you, I, I deserve more from you, Mom. You should be giving me some kind of worth. And, and living in that resentment, all the resentment, it's just a cry of hunger. Whether we think it or not, it's, it's a way of saying, you owe me. But see, when, 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 when God meets the need, when Abba, Father, meets the need, uh, you don't need to collect on your debts. You just release them. That's forgiveness. You just release them. And so there's a point where I could just let my mother go. Just say, you know, I honor the position. Because now it's not being polluted with all my, my resentment. Now I could genuinely pray for her and bless her and, and, and love her. In fact, I called her up and, and hadn't talked to her for eight years and, and, and said that. 
I, I, I release you from all this. And it doesn't matter how she responds at all. It doesn't matter. In fact, she didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, it turned out, I found out later, later, on, later on, that God was setting her up and used my call as one of the ways of kind of starting to plant seeds. And, and about a year later, she, she gave her life to Christ. And it was a beautiful, transforming thing. It, it was marvelous. But see, it doesn't matter how she would respond. It's not about her. It's about me. I'd say, I release you. And it's good if you can say it to the person. I release you. I will pray for you. I bless you. I honor you as my mother. I release you from the the sad reality of how that, that, that turned out. I'm letting all that go. They can even, in fact, even if they're deceased, you can and should do this. Because you don't need the response. You just let them go. And it's very possible uh, to go on harboring resentment to somebody who's long gone. And you need to release that. Get the need met from Abba Father and, and let them go. And see, that, that is, the Bible tells us, good for us. Uh, it, is, it has a positive impact on us. Now, now, notice this. It doesn't mean when you release somebody, it doesn't mean that you're going to live happily ever after. doesn't mean that you're not going to hang out with them. doesn't mean that now you know, you're going to be the best friend. doesn't mean that now you're going to start obeying them. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that now you're going to trust them. Uh, you know, if I had a, a parent who was a, a sex offender... Um, I, I would love them and I would bless them and I would pray for them. Uh, but I don't know if I'd ever trust them to babysit my kids or my grandkids. Now, see, there's a world of difference between releasing somebody from a debt and trusting their character. Two very different issues. Now, they may think you haven't forgiven them because you don't trust their character, but you can totally forgive them. And yet trust has to be earned. I mean, maybe it would be earned back, but, but that's a totally different issue. Uh, it, it, it's about the position, not about the reality here, okay? And the reality may be that they're not trustworthy. And that's how it is. All it means is that you let them go. You let go of the reality. You honor the position by letting go of the reality. And, and that's good for us. It, 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 it's the only way. Letting go is the only way to, uh, to, to live free. Letting go is the only way to not, no longer be defined by whatever abuse you received. Letting go, it's the only way to no longer have the mom or dad or any other abuser that you might have in, in your head. You may not know it's there, but they're there, and they're defining you, and they're speaking into your life all the time. Letting go is the only way to begin to feel life again, to feel fully alive. Letting go is the only way to ever get a really accurate picture of God. It's not all polluted by the, the, the resentment in your heart. Letting go is the only way to begin to dance through life instead of just barely surviving through life. Letting go is the only way to begin to, way to, begin, begin to feel the peace and the joy and the love and the celebration of the kingdom of God. We've got to let go. We've got to let go. It's the only way to be free. It's the only way to break generational curses. When you hold on to that resentment, you inherit it and your kids are going to inherit it. It's inevitable. Uh, you got to let it go. you got to let it go. And it breaks the generational curses. Letting go is the only way to be free. And in fact, when the Bible says you'll live longer. Now, this isn't a magical formula, like it's impossible for you to die at a young age if you honor your parents. That's not, not a formula. But it is a principle. All other things being equal, if you honor your mother and father, the position... Let go of all you need to let go in order to do that. It's, it's good for you even on a health level, on a level of medicine. There's a, a mounting amount of scientific evidence that people who forgive, uh, who, who've just gotten rid of that resentment, they're better able to fight off diseases and cancer, and, and they heal quicker, they recover quicker, they tend to live longer. All other things being equal. Unforgiveness kills you. It kills you. Even before you physically die, it's killing you. But, but all other things being equal, you'll die younger. So let go. Let go. And it will be good for you. That's the position. Now let me talk about the reality. Ooh. Wow, i got to talk about the reality quick. Ah. Okay, here we go. Uh, the reality of parents. How do you deal with that? Now look, at, to, honor, to honor is to ascribe weight, to ascribe value. You ascribe value to the position. 
because our Heavenly Father tells us to and it's good for us. But we also ascribe value to the reality of their parenting. And all this means is we're committed to truth, right? We say it truth. We speak the truth. Aletheia, uncovered. So it means that we, with an honest, real perspective on things, we ascribe whatever weight it deserves. Okay, so we honor the reality by being truthful with it. We honor the reality of how they are mother and father by, by saying, you know, here's what kind of weight it has. If we had a good relationship, if we have a good relationship, a healthy kingdom kind of relationship, loving relationship with our parents, well, that's going to carry a lot of weight, isn't it? But if there was no reality there, if it was a vacuous thing or even a negative thing, it's going to carry very little weight. Both are honoring the reality. You're ascribing value to it. Um, and, 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 and so it's just about being accurate. Even when there's no reality there, you know, and it doesn't carry any weight in our life, we still have to honor the position, but there's no obligations that go beyond that, because there's no reality that go beyond that. And remember, I'm talking in extremes here. Most of the time we're dealing with, with reality that's somewhere in between absolutely perfect and absolutely terrible. But you assign, the, the weight it has is the weight it should have given the reality there. So it's like this. I've got friends, uh, the Churchills, uh, and they spend every Saturday night up at the, uh, their parents' house. Terry's parents' house. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, almost every Saturday night, they're up there. And that's a commitment they have. We sometimes try to get them to do other things, and once in a while they'll do it, but usually it's like, oh no, that, that's our time with our, our, our parents. And they go on vacations with their parents and spend... You know, it's just amazing. They have Because they have a real relationship there. There's a kind of an obligation that they have, an ought, an ought, we should, but it's not something that is imposed on them from the outside. It comes from the reality of the relationship they have. That relationship carries a lot of weight, so they give a lot of commitment to it. On the other hand, uh, Norm, our, our worship leader here. By the way, keep praying for him. He's got vocal issues, and it looks like he's going to be out of, uh, out of commission here for about six months or more. So uh, just be praying for him. And I talked to him if I could share this or not, and he said I could. Uh, he, he had a father that was an alcoholic and that was terribly abusive towards him and that left the family at the age of 11. That, no relationship there at all. The guy shows up 40 years later and all of a sudden wants to be dad and wants Norm to be committed to him and uh, wants to speak into Norm's life. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and Norm, Norm is saying he's committed to speaking the truth. He says, I don't know you because he doesn't. I don't know you. And I want to honor the position of you as father. I'll pray for you. I'll bless you. I'll love you. But in terms of now realtering my life to make room for you, I, I just don't feel an obligation there. And I don't think he should feel guilty about that because, as a matter of fact, there's no reality there. In fact, because Norm doesn't know him, he suspected that there might be ulterior motives here, like that he's trying to get some money from him, maybe, or, or wants someone to take care of him when he gets sick or, or something like that. But see, there's just no reality there. And you honor the reality by being real with it. Now, what can happen? And Lord, I'm asking you to give me the gift of succinctness and give us the gift of hearing this, because this is so important, because this happens a lot. What can happen if, if, if Norm's dad knew about the Churchills, Norm's dad could say, well, Norm, what kind of a lousy son are you? you look at Dave. He, he's, he's up at his in-laws every Saturday night. Look at, look at, the, they know how to be, how to treat their parents right. They know how to honor their parents because they're up there. They take vacations with them. You know, they're helping out whenever they can help out. And here you won't even let me in on your life and, and go out and spend time and loan me money or whatever. You see, if you look on the outside, it looks like, oh, these are better kids than these kids. But see, the difference is that there's a reality that the Churchills have that this isn't here. Norm is being accurate when he says, Dad, the window of opportunity on a relationship closed quite a while ago. 
And that's what it is. Now, Norm shouldn't, you know, have anger and resentment towards this. He needs to let that go if he's got that. He needs to honor the position. But beyond that, there's no obligations. And he shouldn't feel guilty about that. Now, most of us are in, in between, right? There's a, a reality of our parents is somewhere in between this. So we need wisdom to discern what is, beyond acknowledging the position, what, is it, what does it mean to honor the reality of parenting here? And uh, uh, to what degree should we, you know, we're supposed to speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love, right? So that means that, that speaking the truth should never be done out of resentment, shouldn't be done to harm somebody, shouldn't be done, you know, to try to get even, to score points, or, or anything of the sort. And if you find that you're doing that in your family system, I encourage you to shut up and go back to step one and do that forgiveness stuff we talked about. Because what, what's happening there is you're, you're, you're being polluted. You're speaking the truth is being polluted by your resentment. Uh, no, we should speak the truth, but we do it in love. And to do that means we honor them. We do it in ways that are compatible with ascribing unsurpassable worth to them. It also means that we ask the question, in love, how would God want me, perhaps, to bring the kingdom to this relationship or lack of relationship? It's one thing to say, here's what is real. It's another thing to ask, what, what's my, what does God, what does Abba want me to do about that reality? Am I supposed to try to have some kind of a relationship here? What are the obligations that I have towards these folks beyond the, the position stuff? What is the obligations I have given the reality that is here? And about that, there's no rule that can be given. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, rather, um, about that, you have to just seek God's will, discern His will. We did a whole series on that a little bit ago. And here's where kingdom community, kingdom family comes in. It's really good as we're trying to assess what is, uh, what's God telling us to do? To, should we pour into this, this thing and try to bring the kingdom to it? Or are we just supposed to leave it alone and accept it for what it is? It's good to, to get the discernment of, of, of your kingdom family. We all need family-sized units of people who know us well enough to speak into our life. And you say, will you help me discern God's will about this matter? So we want to honor the, our mother and father. Whether they're alive, whether they're dead, whether it's biological, whether it's step-parents, whether it's, uh, it's, it's adopted parents, we want to honor the position. And we also want to honor the reality. For some folks, what it means to honor the reality is going to mean very, very little because it carries very, very little weight. That's just sadly what is real. And, then, and now we need God's discernment about how we're supposed to respond to that. So I'm going to close in prayer that God gives us wisdom about this. As I do, I'd like to ask the prayer team to come up here and... and uh, if you have any need whatsoever that you would like to have prayed for, whether it's about this issue or any other issue, I encourage you to come up here and, and, and talk to these folks. Everything you share it will be held in confidence. And there's no reason to take that burden out of the service with you without sharing it with these folks. So Father, our Heavenly Father, Abba Father, who also does a very good job of playing the role of, as mother. Uh, God, we thank you for being our, our Heavenly Parent. We thank you, Lord, for pouring life into us and pouring unsurpassable worth into us and for making us fully alive. Oh, Father, we pray, God, that we would be a people who let go quickly, who let go of all resentment, all bitterness. However understandable it might be on a human level, Lord God, you call us to rise above that in the kingdom, and you empower us to be free and to live fully. And so, God, I pray for those who, who need to let go, who need to let go and forgive. Will you just show them that, that you can meet that need that's causing that resentment? And, Father, help us to be faithful as we honor the position of our parents and as we accurately assess the reality of our, our parents, uh, give us your wisdom. Give us your guidance. As we seek to do your will on earth as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's kids said, God bless you guys. Go out, spread God's love in the world.